We are going to begin a brand new sermon series this morning, and this is simply called text messages. You and I, we get text messages all the time, right? A lot of us communicate almost exclusively off of text message, especially if you're a millennial or a Gen Z, you never talk into your phone, right? You, just, you text all the time. We are so used to text messages. Maybe you text your kids, moms. Maybe you text the kids first thing in the morning to say hello. Or, or maybe kids or adults, maybe we text mom and dad on the way home from work just to say hello. We are so used to communicating through simple text messages almost exclusively. And text messages can hold up to what, really? 160, 200 characters? They're, like, they're just short. Right? That's, that's just what we've been brought up with. This sermon series is going to be a little bit different than what we've done in the past. We are pivoting to what we call expository. It's an expository sermon series, which means that we're going to go book by book, verse by verse. We're going to be in a book studying the book of Ephesians over the next few months, as opposed to what we've been in in topical sermon series. So we are going to look into the book of Ephesians and we are going to study the individual text messages. See what I did there? You get it? Okay, sorry. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 1 and we're going to start looking through this book this month and into next month and before we do, I want to start out with this well-rounded view of the book of Ephesians so we kind of know what we're getting into. The book of Ephesians was written by a man named Paul. We refer to him often as the Apostle Paul. He wrote this book, he actually wrote it from jail, from prison. Now, in the Bible, when we first meet Paul, he's going by a different name. They called him Saul back then. And Saul was a really bad guy. He was a really mean guy. He persecuted Christians. Anything that had to do with Christ, with the church, with Jesus, anything, he was so frustrated with. He was so on fire to just snuff out the gospel. So he was a deep believer in his Jewish theology. That was his upbringing. That's where he spent his entire life, was knowing what is going on in the, in the, in the Jewish culture. Not only did he know culture, he knew the, 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 the backbone of the Mosaic Law, what we would refer to as our Old Testament. That's what his passion was. He grew up in a city called Tarsus, which is on the eastern, southeastern Asia Minor, which is today modern-day Turkey. And he grew up in that area, and he would have been, he would have gone to school. All boys at that point, until about 10 years old, went to what's called Torah school. And it would be like going to Christian school now, except you don't have any computers or PE or, you know, anything like that. It is just all Torah stuff. It, it is, it's a very religious upbringing that they had. And then, in the early part of his ministry, he started forcing this Jewish culture on everyone, and he was so deep in his beliefs that he would, he would go around and, and physically hurt and shame anyone that didn't line up with his beliefs. He looked down on anyone who did not look highly upon the way of the Jewish people, 
Saul hated Christians. There was one point that Saul asked the high priest in Jerusalem. They knew he was a mean guy anyways. And he says, hey, can I get a letter? Because uh, I want to go over to the next town. I want to round up some Christians, bring them back and throw them in jail. Is that cool? All right. Give him a letter, right? So here goes, here goes Saul and his, his, uh, all of his entourage, and, and they're on their way from Jerusalem up to Damascus. They're going to go up there and round up some, some, some Christians. And now while, while, while Saul and his entourage are cruising the Oregon Trail, and they're on their way up here to Damascus, there's this, there's this massive bright light, and it blinds Saul, and, and Saul meets the risen Jesus out here on his way to Damascus. You've heard the, road, the term, the road to Damascus, right? That's what we're talking about. This is when Saul is converted, meets Jesus right there. And this is why this, this backstory is so important, is because Saul, this man who hated Christians, who was going to go and round them up, wrote one-third of of the New Testament. So much of what we know as Christians came from this man who at one point hated Christians and Christ turned his life around. Turned his life around. So now we have this man, this, this man who is the Apostle Paul. An apostle is somebody who goes out, who goes out to teach others. So he is an apostle. He is teaching others in his, in his ministry. And remember, he was so far away from Jesus purposefully in his life. God is so far away from him as he, he could. Between that time on that road to Damascus and what we're going to read today, Paul went on three different missionary journeys. And this is different than us taking a weekend and going to go and build a house somewhere on a missions trip and coming back. His missionary journeys, they were pretty long. He walked over 10,000 miles in his missionary journeys. Let me, let, me, let me paint that for you, okay? I want you to put a globe or, a, or a, a kind of a world map in your mind, okay? And we're going to go to South America, and we're going to go as far down in South America as you can before you get to the South Pole, right? This island that you go down to Chile, and then whatever islands are there, we're gonna to go to the furthest part of South America, okay? And now we're gonna start walking north. We're gonna walk north all the way through South America, we're gonna keep walking right through Central America. There's Panama Canal, Guatemala is in there, there's Mexico in there, we're still walking, okay? We're gonna go all the way up through the United States. Now we're gonna keep going through Canada. We're still walking. And now we're going to go to the furthest island north in Canada's territory that you can get to before you get to the North Pole. 10,000 miles on foot. And he's walking, and he's going to these different places to tell people about Jesus. Remember, that guy he hated. And he's telling them, wow, let me, let me, just, let me just tell you about Jesus. And, and as he's doing this, he's planting churches along the way. He, he would go into a town, and he would start a church. And then he would go into another town, and he would start a church. And that's where we're finding him here, is he has started this church in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus is on the west southern coast 
of Asia Minor, now referred to as Turkey. You can actually go to Ephesus still. You won't see much. It's all in ruins right now. But if you take one of those uh, cruises in Europe, you can go to these different um, ruins of the Bible, and you can go to a great theater in Ephesus that uh, used to be a, a theater. Paul is writing this letter from church, from, from jail, to the churches in and around Ephesus. Now, Paul writes this letter in about the year 60 or 61 AD. Let me put that in perspective for you, okay? Jesus was crucified, we know, at about 30 to 33 AD, okay? Now, so this letter he is writing about 30 years after the crucifixion. This is Paul on fire. He is actually in jail in Rome for his faith, and from there he's still writing letters out to churches, and he's telling them, hey, you know what, watch this, pay attention to this. These are things that, that as a church that, that, that you need to be paying attention to, and, and people are writing him letters back and forth. And so he's continuing to minister from the jail that he was, he was in, in Rome. And this is a letter, as I mentioned, that is going towards the churches in Ephesus. It's the book that we call Ephesians. We're going to start this morning in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm in verse number 3. Paul writes this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Verse number 4, Even before he made the world, God loved us, and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. I'm going to stop right there for a moment. This is point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, on the back of your bulletin are some fill-in-the-blanks. I'm going to give you those, and they're going to be up here on the big screen as well. Point number one in your notes is this. You are not an accident. You, are, you were planned and chosen by God. You're not here accidentally. You were planned and chosen by God. In this letter, Paul is writing out, he's writing and he's starting out praising God as he is addressing his audience. And he says in these few verses, in verse 1 he's saying, Jesus has blessed us. He's referring to believers, those who are believing in Jesus. He has blessed us. Us. And he's writing this letter, of course, to believers there in Ephesus, but don't fool yourself. He's writing this letter to us also. He's writing this to you. He's saying that as believers, we have been blessed. Whether you feel worthy of God's love or not, he says God loves you and he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing because you are united with him through Jesus. And then Paul says something so amazing in verse number four. Paul says this, this is his text message to you this morning. Paul says, before the world was even formed, God knew you, he knew who you were, and he chose you. Imagine getting a text message. You look at your phone, text message from Paul. Who's this guy? What does he want? And you start reading it and it says, hey, before the world was formed, God knew who you were and he chose you. That might brighten my day a little bit, huh? That'd be a great text message to get from Paul. Have no doubt that if you are here today and if you are listening to me here or online somewhere, God 
chose you. He chose you. So I told you that when Paul was growing up, he would go to Torah school up to they were, he was about 10 years old. And what would happen to, to Jewish boys then, at about 10 years old, there would be a cut. If you made the cut, if you had studied hard enough, you were going to go on to higher education. This day we might call it junior high, high school. If you didn't make the cut, you're going back to the family farm, you're gonna go work with dad. That's what you're doing. Paul made the cut. He did, he moved on. And so there's another level of education after that. And again, late in your teenage years, if you make that next cut, you're going to move forward. If you don't, back to the farm with dad, right? So Paul, going by Saul then, this guy knows his stuff. He does. And what would happen at that second cut point is that if you were to make that cut, Jewish boys then, they would find their favorite rabbi and they would go and they would sit at, their, at the rabbi's feet and the rabbi would give them some tests and, 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 and if it didn't work out with that rabbi, as, as a Jewish boy, you would go and find another rabbi and you would sit at his feet. See, see, here's what they would do. It would be the student choosing the master. That's not the way that God works. God, the master, chooses us, his student and his children. It's a lot better that way, huh? Yeah, you know what? God chose us. We didn't go and choose God. God chose us. And do you see what he chose you for? And this is so important. He chose you to be holy and without fault in God's eyes. He chose you to be holy and without fault. To be holy means to be separated from. It's to be sanctified, to be different from. It is to be set aside and used for a specific purpose for God. That is to be holy. Now, let's remember the original audience here, okay? This audience, they're Gentiles. A Gentile is anyone who is not of Jewish descent. I'm going to say that we're all Gentiles here. Okay? We're, we're, we're not, we're not from, from Israel. It was anyone that was outside of Palestine in that area at that time. They're Gentiles. That's the original audience. And many Gentiles, when they learned about Jesus, there was this, there was this thought, and it was absolutely wrong, that in order to come closer to Christ and to come closer to God and to become a Christian, I need to become Jewish first. Not true. Or they thought, okay, the Jews are God's chosen people, and so they are a lot closer to God than I am. And that's not true either. What Paul is saying is he's reminding them and reminding us that God adopted them and all of us into the family. We are adopted. We are part of the family. So when, when Paul is exclusively writing to the Gentiles, these people who were looked down upon by the Jewish people, you know what, I wonder, I wonder if any of us have felt like we've been looked down upon by other Christians. I wonder if we ever feel like we've been looked down upon from other people who we feel are more religious than we are. And maybe they're not looking down on us. Maybe that's just the way that we're taking it. But the Gentiles certainly took it that way. That is who Paul is writing to. 
He's writing to people who feel spiritually inadequate. And he's telling them, in this text message, he is telling them that you were chosen. That's a pretty short text message, but it's a very, very important text message. He's saying, hey, Gentile believers, you were chosen. And he's saying that to us today. I wonder if this ever happened to you. It is. It's one of the worst feelings in elementary school. I don't even know if they do this any, every day, right? But in order to get two teams, what do you have to do? Everyone lines up on the line, and then two of the super cool kids, they get up here, and then they get to pick their team, right? I want Scott. Okay, Scott comes over. I want Ted. And Ted comes over. I want... And, you know, there is always somebody chosen last, right? And it hurts. Kids hurt. There's always somebody that was chosen last. Now, I know that none of you were chosen last, because I can just tell by this entire room that everyone here was probably the first kid chosen for every single team. So we might not be able to relate to that, but it does happen. There's a kid who was chosen last, and it does. It, it, it hurts. No one wants to be chosen last. Nobody wants to feel like they haven't been chosen at all. We, 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 we don't want to feel like this world doesn't want us, right? We, we, we don't want to feel like, well, they didn't choose us because we're not good enough for their man-made philosophy on life, right? But think about it. God chose you before he made the world. So... We kind of have this story of how creation went, okay? Before God made elephants and plants and volcanoes and anteaters, and before he made anything, he loved you. He knew you. He chose you. And he separated you from everyone else because you are special. You're special. God made you for a reason. Here's why. It's point number two in your notes this morning is this. You were planned, wanted, and chosen to be holy. You were planned, you were wanted, and you were chosen. There's some of us in our world these days, not going to lie, there's some of our parents that will straight up tell us, you were unplanned, right? No joke. God's not going to tell you that. You know why? Because you were planned in God's eyes. Your parents were just the conduit to get you here. You were planned. Look what Paul writes just one chapter later. I'm in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10. Paul writes this. He says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Isn't that amazing? You're a masterpiece. You know, people pay good money to go to museums and wait in lines to see masterpieces. That's what God thinks about you. You are a masterpiece. And that's because, it's because God loves you and because he created you to, watch this, do good things that please him. And that was the plan long ago. Watch what Jesus says. I'm in Matthew chapter 25. I'm in verse number 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, 
You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom, watch this, prepared for you from the creation of the world. So not only were you planned way back then, so was the kingdom. So was where he wants you. One of Paul's other letters was to another church in a city called Colossae. We refer to the book as the book of Colossians. I'm in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 22. Paul writes this, Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and, here it is again, you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Paul didn't just write that once to the church in Ephesus. We see that all over the Bible. I, I don't know what it is right now that you have in your life right now that is covering you with guilt. But God did not bring you into his presence for you to bring your guilt with you into his presence. That's not the plan. Because of what Jesus did, God brought you into his presence because you are different from others, because you are holy, because you are blameless when you stand before him, and you are without a single fault when you stand before him. And let me tell you something, you don't get to be blameless and faultless on your own. You cannot do it on your own. Raise your hand if you've mastered that. I'm putting my hand down right now. So here's the thing. Not only are you to be holy and blameless before him, we say, I don't, I don't know, I'm not holy and blameless. It's only through the blood of, of Christ that covers all of our sins that allows us to be blameless and holy and without fault in front of God. And some of us are saying, you know what, God, man, if you knew me, if you knew what I do, if you, if, you, if you know who I am, you wouldn't want anything to do with me because I am a sinner's sinner. Like, I am not, I'm not good. Like, you want, why, why, why do you want anything to do with me? Do you not think that God knows that? That he hasn't thought about that? He knows that. He knows who you are. He knows what you do. He knows what goes on in your mind. He knows this, but he gave you a way out of it. He gave you a way out of it through Jesus. He, he gave you a way to walk in front of him, holy and blameless. And he knows you can't do it on your own, so he gave you a way for that to be done. Who would do that? Who would do that for us? We are a, 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 a pretty ragtag bunch of misfits, and God chose us? Really? I mean, if this is the best of the best, like, oh, there's a lot better you could do. God, why? Why, why us? And I, I wonder if, if, we've, if we've ever looked around and we've said, God, why, why me? Like, look, there's a lot of other people that they're probably a little bit higher on the God chart than I am, right? You could find somebody better than me. Almost anyone better. And, and sometimes we tell God that. But that's not what he's telling us. We're listening to what we're telling God, not what God's telling us. Anyone ever think, you know, 
eh, I, I don't deserve this. I really don't. Okay, I'm the only one, and that's cool. That's, absolute, that's absolutely fine. So here's the thing. It's amazing that God chose us, and even further than that, he chose the sinners in Ephesus, and these people, they, they, weren't even, they weren't even Jewish, and he had to remind them, he says, you're my people. You're my people. Come back with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm in verse number 5. Paul writes this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family and bring us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. Watch this. And it gave him great pleasure. So not only did God choose you, he was happy to choose you. Not like the kids on the playground. They got stuck with you. No, God chose you. That's a big difference, right? See, see th but this takes it to a whole different level because Paul is telling the Gentiles, not the Jews, he's telling the Gentiles that all of us here were chosen in advance to be part of the family of God through Jesus, and Jesus is actually the only way into the family. There is no other way into the family of God. Jesus Christ, the only way. There's no other way to spend eternity with the Father. There's no other way to spend eternity in heaven. There is no other God. There is no other way. And then we say, though, if there's no other way, why did God choose us? Because, you know why? Because there's no other way, and he loves you. That's why he chose you. God says, I chose you because I wanted to. Because you make me happy. You ever think about that? I know a lot of times we think about how sad we must be making God feel. But how many times do we think that we do make God happy? We do make God happy. You know, I bet there's plenty of people in this world who make you sad. Right? There's plenty of people who don't really like you too much right now. Maybe it is because you are a Christian. Maybe it is because you've come closer to Christ over the last few years, and that's not where they want to be. They don't want to hang out with Christians. You don't bring pleasure to everyone here on earth. And you know what? I, that, that, that's really okay. It really is. It's not as much of a, uh, really what matters. But in the grand scheme of things... What matters is us bringing pleasure to God. And you know what? We can do it. We do it. God is happy. God loves us. Now, does that mean that he loves everything that we do? No. But he still loves us. He adopted us into the family even knowing who we are. He says, I want them to be my children. And you know, what do children do to parents? I mean, if you're a parent, we love our kids, right? But our kids do. They, they disappoint us sometimes, don't they? Our, our, our kids frustrate us sometimes, right? They, they drive us nuts. Kids can make parents pull their hair out, right? But parents don't stop loving their children. They don't. We... we we, we do all of what we do, and I want you to know this. Here's a text message 
God is not stopping. He's not going to stop loving you because of what you do. He's not. He's going to offer forgiveness, but he's not going to stop loving you because he chose you and you are his child. But see, here's the really cool thing about this is that you're not his only child. You're part of a really, really big family. God has a lot of kids. I mean, we've all heard of families that have a lot of kids. God has a lot of kids in the family. And let's, some, let's face it, some of these kids are a little bit more crazier than other ones. And that tells me that some of the crazy ones are here this morning. I can hear that. He chose you. And he's not sorry that he did. He chose you because he actually wanted to do that. Look what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. I mean, chapter 8, verse number 29, Paul writes this. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Isn't that cool? Is, you may have grown up, some of you may have grown up as an only child. If you were an only child, you know, there's some things that, that maybe you missed out on. There's some things that maybe you had the rest of us didn't have. But you're not an only child in the family of God. You have a ton of brothers and sisters in this family. And you've actually got a really, really awesome big brother, uh, Jesus. Really awesome big brother. Firstborn. Oldest, right? The oldest firstborn. I'm the oldest in my house. I've got a younger brother and a younger sister. And I know other, other first kids in my position, there's this, there's this feeling growing up that you're to be a, a protector. When my brother and I were in high school together, you kind of looked out for each other. I looked out for my younger brother. Right? And, and maybe you were one that looked out for your younger sister. If, if, if there was somebody picking on my brother at school, that was my job to step up and, and help take care of him. You know what? You know who your big brother is? Well, Jesus is your big brother. He's a, he's a big brother. And you, and, you, and you know what he's here to do? Sure, he's here to save you, but he came to stand up for you too. Who's bullying you? You've got a big brother here to stand up for you. He's there to scare away those bullies in your life. And, and, then, and then you know what he wants to do? Once, he wants to step up and he wants to scare off all this trouble in your, your life and, and kind of push everyone and, and, and comfort and be there for you. But then he wants to put his arm around you and he wants to turn around with you and say, hey, come on, let's go home what he wants to do. He says, I got you. Let's go home. That's what big brothers do, right? They're there. And Jesus wants to help turn your life back towards God, back towards home. That's what he's here for, a big brother. And and he wants to turn you back towards God because he knows that his father, our father, chose you. And he loves you like a brother. Isn't that amazing? Paul's got another letter 
to the church in Philippi. This is out of Philippians chapter 2, verse number 13. Paul writes this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Write this down. This is point three in your notes this morning. You are here because it pleased God to create you, and He gave you the power and ability to please Him. Let me tell you why this is a big deal. Sometimes we say, Sheesh, I, I can't. I, I can't please God. There's this, I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't, know, I don't know how to make God happy. I don't know how to please God. He gave you that power. He gave you that ability. He chose you to be holy and blameless. But He didn't just choose you to be holy and blameless and leave you out there on your own to figure it out. No. God says He gave you the power and the desire and the ability to please God. Don't fool yourself and say, you know, I can't please God. Sure you can. He gave you the power and ability to do that. You can please God. But I wonder if there's a time that, that you've just, you've walked with that, you've walked around with that guilt. Maybe you walk away from that situation. Maybe it was that light, late night and you were in the wrong place and you know it. You're like, that didn't please God. You know that you were someplace you shouldn't have been. You know that you were with someone you shouldn't have been with. You know that, that you're hanging around people that you shouldn't have been with. And, and, and now you've got that guilt feeling. You're, you're feeling it, right? You, it's, it's that you know in your heart that you did something that made God sad right there, right? You know that time. And sometimes we say, well, we just, I just don't know how to help myself. It's, this is so addictive. I am so wrapped up in this. I am too deep in that I can't get out. This is what people recognize me by. They, they don't recognize me as a Christian. They, they recognize me by this. God, I am so deep in this. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to change this. But God not only gave you the desire to please him, he gave you the ability, he gave you the help, and he gave you a big brother right here to help as well. So that you're not out here on your own. If we are still saying that we can't please God, that we don't know how to, then really what that means is we're not taking advantage of the power that God has given us. He's given us that ability. I'm in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm in moving on to verse number 6. Watch this. Paul says, So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. In Him we have redemption through His blood for the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of His grace. So here it is. It's your big brother Jesus, who went ahead of us. He went ahead of us on our path, and He has stood up for us. He's actually standing up to this big bully of death that we deserve. That's what, because of what we do, that's what we deserve 
I'm going to show you how important Jesus is to this situation right here. Write this down. This is a long one. I know you've got three fill-in-the-blanks on this. Point number four in your notes is this. Our best is not even close to good enough. Because of our weakness, God offers us the gift of a voucher. Because, but you can't unlock it if you don't accept the gift. We're going to leave that on the screen for just a minute so you can write, write that down because I want you to take this bulletin, put it on your refrigerator this week and look at these notes. I want you to see these text messages all week long. You remember the wages of sin is what? Death, right? The wages of sin is death. Wages is what you earn. Think about your paycheck. You go to work. You work for two weeks and they give you your wages. That's what you earned by your labor. You know what we earn by our labor, by our sin? We earn death. That's what we deserve. But you know what's so amazing? Is that we actually have a big brother who stepped up to this bully and, and, and paid the price for us. It's, it's that word redemption. He redeemed us through his blood. What, is, what does that mean? Let me tell you that. Let me tell you something. So you remember back in the day, those of us Gen X and above will remember this. On Sundays, we, um, we had a newspaper that came out to the driveway. And I would go out and get the newspaper because the Sunday paper had the funnies in it, right? And dad would take the sports page, and my mom would go into the middle of the paper, and she would pull out this, this stack of coupons, right? And she'd look through the coupons to see what we needed for this week. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And she'd take the scissors, and she would cut it out, and she would put one of those in the envelope and take it with her to the store, right? And so in the 80s, you never wanted to be in line behind the coupon lady because you're going to be there for a little while. Coupon lady, but you know what this you know what you know what happened is that Coupon lady would get up there to the to the checker and would redeem a coupon Now redeeming a coupon it means this it means that you no longer have that coupon But now you have a, a lower price for something you have redeemed something for something see that's like the redemption that we have in the blood of, of Jesus, except he didn't just redeem a dollar off of your sin. He didn't give you a buy one, get one free sin coupon. That's not what he did. No, Jesus redeemed the entire cost. All of it. For Christians, we are going to stand in front of God Someday, and we are going to have to give an account for our lives. It's going to happen to all of us. But those who are saved in the blood of Jesus, yeah, we're still going to have to stand in front of God and make an account for our actions. But let me tell you something. There are some people, and some people who you know, who are going to stand in front of God. And here's the sad part. They're going to have to pay full price for their sins. The entire price. But as Christians, we go and we stand before God. 
And we're going to say to God, I'm going to say, God, I know. I know what's in my past. But I also know Jesus. And, and, and here's, my, here's my coupon. I'm, going to, I'm redeeming this. God, my older brother, Jesus, your first son, he paid for my sins. He did that for me. And he didn't simply pay, pay for the sins for my first 35 years and then, and then he quit. No. He didn't just pay for the, for the sins up until a certain point or the sins that were only that bad and not this bad. God, no, I am turning in. I am redeeming the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ died for me. He paid this price of death for me. And this is, he, pay, he paid for it for me because I can't. I can't do that on my own. I have a big brother who went before me. And we're going to turn in, we're going to turn in that Jesus coupon and He's going to redeem our sins with His blood. Amen? Amen. Look what Paul writes again in Romans chapter 3. I'm in verse number 24. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus, when He freed us from the penalty of our sin. Freed us. We don't owe the price. If you are saved in the name of Jesus, you don't have to pay that price of death. Your big brother is redeeming you. He has paid that. He has stood up for us. He has taken care of his family. Because there is an alternative to spending eternity with God. That alternative is spending eternity outside the presence of God, which literally is hell. The only way to spend eternity with God is redeeming the blood of Jesus for our sins. It's to come in front of God blameless and holy. And there's only one way that we come before Him blameless and holy. It's with the redemption. But we as sinners, we do. We need that coupon. We need our big brother to stand up for us against this bully of, of death and to pay the price for us. We need that big brother who is going to stand up to the bully of this world and say, hey, stop picking on him. Stop picking on her. That's my brother. That's my sister. My father chose them. Leave him alone. Jesus is here for that. He's here for that. Paul sent us this text message saying that Jesus wants to. He wants to come up in our most difficult times when we're facing the harshest times in our world and in our life. Paul says, you know, Jesus, He just wants to come up, scare this away, put His arm around you, turn around with you, and say, hey, Let's go back home to the Father. 